Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. It's the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, and welcome to another On The Move. John, it's that time of year where we turn our attention to Bloomington Gold, one of the premier events celebrating Chevrolet's iconic Corvette and Camaro sports cars. And in segment two, we are sitting down with event president Guy Larson for all of the latest details. Now, before we get to it, we've got some Ecom auctions coming up on the horizon. What's on the docket? Yeah, next one up, Matt, Tulsa, Oklahoma, now in year two. That's going to run June 9th through 11th, 1,000 cars. Uh, are expected for that and then of course the orlando summer special that runs four days this year july 6th through the 9th now there's 1500 positions available so they've expanded that auction and it will be the very very first time that we will have television coverage from the orlando summer special uh, on of course motor trend and on top of that it is being held at the orange county convention center that's the big convention center downtown orlando where it's nice and cool everything indoors on that one matt looking forward to it indeed well john it wasn't that long ago that you and i were at dana meekham's 35th original spring classic and what a spring classic it was a truly incredible auction now we gave a couple high level details on last week's show but let's dive a lot deeper into the results because there is so much to go into well there is matt we've got uh, you know it takes it takes about a week or so after the close of each of our individual auctions to sort of get all of the numbers and everything put together so here's what we have so far uh, the largest event in the 35 year history of the original spring classic 126.5 million dollars now that represents an 18 percent increase from what we saw last year and i think an interesting statistic as well matt is in the top 10 nine of them were over one million dollars and the car at number 10 came awful close it was at one of two built 71 corvette zero two convertible lot number s127 it brought a very close to a million dollars nine hundred and sixty two thousand five hundred dollars and but i think probably the most impressive part of this whole auction matt is that top 10 let's just kind of run down exactly what made up the top 10 and then maybe a couple of the backstories behind each one of them okay well coming in first we have a 1965 brawner hawk ford known as the dean van line special indie car this was out of the ray everham collection he brought a very large group of historically significant race cars and the claim to fame about this particular vehicle is it was driven by the legendary mario andretti to indie car titles in both 1965 and 1966 and it sold for 2.2 million dollars and what's really neat john is that that was not the only vehicle in our top 10 that had special ties to indie race activities uh, we had several other race cars and other vehicles with close ties to the track and how appropriate for them to be selling at me Indy. right and uh you know that top seller matt at 2.2 million dollars was really special that was the crown jewel of ray Evernham's collection Working with Ray, we had him as a podcast guest. I was down to his facility a couple of times, helped in the promotion of that uh, entire group of, of 33 entries, of which 32 were vehicles, and one was a, was a vintage flathead Ford V8 that brought crazy money. 
Um, but anyway, got a note from uh, Ray uh, later in the afternoon fr- from the auction, a text message, and it was basically, John, thanks so much for your help. Really appreciate it. Exceeded our expectations. And he said, I can't wait to rebuild my collection and do this all over again. I hope he's got <laughs> hope he's got enough energy for that. My suspicion is he probably does. Well, uh, a couple other sting notes from the list include a trio of four GTs earning the 6th, 7th, and 8th spot on the list. Two were from the 2020 model year, with the third being from 2019, and that particular one was a carbon series. And John, just another reminder that, man, Ford has really capitalized on the historic nature of that model, and they are still uber desirable to collectors. Well, and what's interesting about those cars, Matt, is is the current generation, third generation Ford GT, still continues to bring roughly double whatever the window sticker was, just as a rule of thumb for those that are hoping uh, that the prices are going to settle a bit to make it more affordable does not look like that's going to be happening. Let's talk about the number nine car. That was the 65 Shelby 289 Cobra Roadster, $1.1 million. That was the little automatic transmission, just one of a handful with automatics. Silver mink with that red leather interior was stunning, really brought the money. A lot of people thought, well, gee, it's an automatic, but you know what? The automatics are rare. And if you want to take one of these cars out and you want to drive it, you want to enjoy it, you don't want to mess with the shifting, not a bad way to go. Good point. All right. Well, if listeners want to check out all of the results from this year's Mecham Indy, that can all be found at Mecham.com. John, let's turn our attention to the world of new cars. And one of the ways that you and I stay plugged in to that scene is through our involvement with the Midwest Automotive Media Association, or MAMA as it is known. Uh, You and I have been members for years, and, and basically that's a regional group here in the Midwest. West that connects journalists like ourselves with uh, different reps and individuals from the OEMs and allows us opportunity to get seat time and some of the latest cars and trucks. And one of the crown jewels of that organization is the Spring Rally. This is traditionally held at Road America, one of our favorite places to be and not just a couple hours drive from us here in the Chicagoland area. Now, John, you were not able to go this year and you normally are always there, but uh, I went up there solo to this year's rally held just a couple days ago and i gotta say it did not disappoint there were over 60 new cars and trucks um, from the 2022 and 2023 model year really gave me a good opportunity to kind of get a feel of what will be showing up in showrooms very soon one of the main highlights that i was eager to check out was ford's lightning pickup truck this is a, a vehicle that you and i have talked about for a while so it was really exciting to actually get behind the wheel ford brought out a pair of them and the one that i got some some drive time in was with the platinum so loaded to the hilt with all kinds of options but obviously the most important thing here is that electric powertrain the the key thing that i came away with is how much power is really on tap man you put your foot into it and this truck really does move first question i have for matt in regards to the new ford lightning course as this is their all electric truck right compared to the f-150 the standard gas-powered f-150 what was your first impression just how similar it it really blends in uh, because when it comes to these electric vehicles it seems like automakers really can kind of go down two different paths one is is that they drastically change up the styling to call out the electric nature of the vehicle you know make it really edgy really far out or have it be more subdued have it follow more of the traditional design language and clearly what the lightning ford has done the latter where if you if you looked you really wouldn't maybe at first glance even identified as the all-electric 
lightning just because it is so similar to the ice counterpart, which I think is smart. Uh, that way it kind of eases truck shoppers into the idea that this, this has something completely different from what they're used to. Um, and then, so once you kind of get over that and you get to the truck, you, you get up a little bit closer, you, you recognize, obviously I think the wheels and then that front signature with the full, full width led bar calls it out as a lightning along with some side badging. But other than that, John, it, it really, it blends in well. Um, you know, the other big change that customers are going to see is up front where now in place of, of a big traditional gas engine, there's a big storage, um, area, so that's really neat. And then obviously, certainly behind the wheel, that's that's going to be the biggest change is that when people put their foot in it, man, this truck really, really moves. All right. Well, one of the most anticipated cars, you and I have been talking about this for the past year or so. You got a chance to get up close and personal. I have not seen one in person yet. And even more, you had a chance to drive it. And that is, of course, the all new Nissan Z. That'll be coming out in the 2020 for the 2023 model year. Uh, once again, start with your impressions of the car visually, and how many did they have there? Well, they had a pair. They had a red and a blue example, Um, and I got to say, John, it lives up to the hype. You said first seeing it, it really does stay true to the personality of the concept car that had been making the auto show circuits for years, which I always think is a great first indicator of an automaker's commitment to the the flavor of the vehicle. Because I feel like we've seen so many times a concept car make the rounds and then what actually makes it to showrooms is so different. It, It really doesn't have any DNA. Not true with the Z. It really has that charm, that personality. Of course, what really matters above that is the driving. And I got to say, after driving both back to back, I started with the automatic, which is a nine speed before moving to the manual, which is a six speed. Both were paired to the same three liter twin turbo V6 producing 400 horsepower. And I, I found both deliver a really engaging driving experience. Obviously, it's it's a very small sports car and both transmissions really are, are fun. They're engaging. But the one that really just goes above and beyond is is the manual. It just it feels so so appropriate and that type of car it really just delivers in that grin factor and i really do think a lot of customers are going to gravitate towards that even though the nine speed is is very good in its own right it just doesn't deliver in that really above and beyond fun factor all right probably the biggest question of all we had a chance uh to put a couple hundred miles on the toyota supra of course it was an automatic we know that they're coming out with a manual hopefully we'll be able to experience one of those coming up but I think probably the biggest discussion, the biggest comparison is going to be the Toyota Super versus this new Z car. What are you, and, and by the way, we're fans of the Super. We, we both are. thought that was really a great driving car and, and really wicked fast, 382 horsepower out of that turbo inline six. The automatic was that ZF uh, eight speed, which was absolutely on target all the time. We really liked that car. But Z versus Super, what do you think? Who uh, I think Supra's got some serious competition with the Z. It is coming in hot. It's it's coming strong right out of the gate uh, with with the power with with everything we've talked about with that manual transmission. The other thing too that I was reminded of is really how livable the Z traditionally has been. Uh, it seems like it's it's a way more uh, daily driver friendly car um, from a couple standpoints. One is that how much cargo space it has. The Supra has just that conventional trunk setup 
up, whereas the Z is continuing the hatchback body style and no change here with the newest version. And it's it's got a lot of space back there. So it definitely makes sense for this to, to be used for longer drives, longer weekend getaways. And even the cabin, it feels like a bigger car. So it'll be curious to see as more and more head-to-head co- uh, comparisons come out about these cars and as you and I spend more time with them. But yeah, I, I think Supra's got some serious competition. Well, and especially with the base price of around $40,000, it comes in under the money of a comparable power Supra. And uh, so I think that ultimately, if people are kind of thinking, well, you know, I like them both, but it just might be that sticker price might swam uh, more towards the Z. It's going to be fun to kind of watch that unfold, expect to see those, what, probably later this fall? Yeah, if, if not, maybe even by the end of summer. All right, John, well, let's talk about another segment that we've been watching, and that is the luxury three-row SUV market. This is is a market that's continuing to explode in popularity. And for the longest time, it seemed like it was just dominated by Calex Escalade. And we're seeing more and more competitors kind of want to mix it up a little bit. Most notably, we saw the return of Jeep's Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, which was a, a model we were dialed into because it had some retro flair. And now we just received news of a new competitor uh, joining the fray in the form of the Land Rover Defender 130. So this is joining the Defender 9 and the 110 being the largest and featuring a third row with seating for eight. So it'll be interesting to see how this does with shoppers. Uh, going back to the Wagoneer, it seems like that really had a lot of momentum at launch, but it, it just didn't seem to resonate with shoppers. So it'd be interesting to see can the Defender 130 make more of an impact? And just a reminder to everybody that actually the those those numbers of the uh, 90 and 110, 130, they all mean something, and that's the wheelbase. So, yeah, that is really, at 130-inch wheelbase, It's that is a big vehicle. Well, and it's a big vehicle that has some, some pretty serious off-road capability with Land Rover making sure that this Defender 130 can live up to the brand's reputation of being just as capable off the pavement as it is on the pavement. And that really has me wondering, John, how many customers are going to be putting this vehicle through its paces on tight, twisty trails to really see it in action? I I don't know, but it'll be kind of fun to watch. Well, let's talk about an electric vehicle that has been getting some news over just the past couple of days. You and I have talked about this car. This will be the upcoming reintroduced DeLorean nameplate, and they've teased a few taillights in the past month or so and some different views We really weren't sure how retro it's going to be, but now in advance of the official reveal at Pebble Beach this year, that'll be in August, um, we do see that they have shown us some pictures of it. And while it's a very sleek sedan overall look and it has gullwing doors, not sharing much else with the traditional DeLorean. Right. And this was something that you and I had talked about at length about what approach would the company take with bringing back such an iconic model. And and I got to say, John, after seeing seeing what they've teased or, or shown off, it, it kind of makes sense that it, it's almost a reimagination of the iconic DMC-12 like you like you touched on. The Gullwing doors certainly harken back uh, to the earlier model, but it also adds the benefit of being a four-seater as opposed to being a two-seater. 
It's got that head-turning looks to it, so I think this is a right move to kind of get the company on the map. It's a very attractive sports car. Um, I just don't know, will, will it polarize the faithful who kind of wanted to see the, the DMC-12 brought back and just give an electric powertrain? I personally really like the design. I think it's attractive. I think it's a very sleek, sexy four-seater. And if DeLorean can bring this thing to market, I really think they'll have a winner on their hands. Uh, now, what are your thoughts, John? Do you think it should have more retro? Is it too futuristic? Or, or where do you stand on the design so far? You know, I'm, I'm kind of mixed. I think to see one in person is going to probably tell the story, to see exactly what the specs are, where the pricing is going to come in. But I think maybe one of the most surprising tidbits, Matt, that they're starting to put out is they're saying this could be the first of actually a line of DeLorean vehicles, including plans for an ICE engine, perhaps a V8 engine, down the road as well. Don't know, but they are they they are kind of teasing that. Uh, so you just have to kind of wonder: is this thing really going to happen, or is this just a really good idea at this time? Don't adjust that dial. On the move, we'll be right back. Our program is proudly presented by Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auctions. Now back to Matt and John. Matt, our guest today is a familiar voice to listeners of uh, the podcast and one of our favorite all-around car guys. We have Guy Larson. He is the president of Bloomington Gold. The big Corvette show now includes Camaros, and more about that in just a minute. But we've got the big Bloomington Gold event is just literally around the corner. Matt, you and I both are going to be attending, and I've got some roles there that we've been assigned. We're always glad to help out there. But even more importantly today, we've got Guy Larson with us to bring us up to speed on all of the big news that's happening with the event. Guy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for asking. Glad to be here. All right, big news this year. 50 years and a move back to the original city, Bloomington, Illinois. Tell us how all that came together. Well, you know, we've been looking for a few years to uh, find somewhere in Bloomington that we could go back to. We had a lot of (coughs) regular customers and vendors that have been telling us we should go back there and go back to the original locations and so on. Well, the original location is actually now a Lowe's Supercenter, so that's kind of out. <laughs> okay. Um, but we searched out golf courses and different things, and we finally came upon uh, a venue at the Illinois State University in their athletic uh, campus area. So Go Redbirds. Yeah, go Redbirds. And, in fact, we'll be in the Redbird Arena is okay. one of the fil- facilities we're going to use for uh, all the judging cars. and. It's a, it's a very updated university campus. Everything's nice and fresh and clean, so it's, it's going to be pretty cool. So what has been the overall general interest in the event this year, and how has the move to Bloomington, back to Bloomington, seemed to have affected interest? It's interesting. You know, uh, uh, you always are thinking you have to change and do new things, and we went to this direction of doing an old thing, go back to where you were and do old yeah. stuff you used to do. And it's taken off like a rocket. People are very excited about us going there. The community is really supportive. Uh, both of the mayors have uh, given me their personal phone numbers to call if I need anything. They say, don't call the staff, call me. That'd be Bloomington and Normal? Bloomington Normal. Got I'm it. sorry, yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, everybody's into it, and uh, I think it's going to be really exciting and the, the cities are, are campaigning to have people come out and see the cars and see everything going on. Um, they're putting together the road tour uh, logistics, so to speak. We mapped out where we wanted to go, but they're putting it together and they're promoting to have people camp out on the road tour and watch the cars go by like the old days. So it's going to be pretty neat. 
So that would be, let's talk about the road tour for just a moment. That would be uh, Corvettes and Camaros are included this year yep, yep. on the road tour. Sure. Uh, that will follow a pre-planned course that, that, that auto enthusiasts or anybody along the route can actually see the cars come by, correct? Yep, yep. A couple highlights of that tour. Uh, it, it's, it's a kind of a lengthy tour, but it's going to take off from uh, the campus and head into Old Bloomington, they call it, and around the town square, and people are going to be positioned there to wave and, you know, to, to watch the cars go through the city. It's going to head from there and head straight north and catch part of the old original Route 66. Oh, fun. We're gonna, Very cool. We're going to run the cars up Route 66 for a while. Then they cut off of that and head farther north and go around Lake Bloomington, which was um, uh, the Route 66 and Lake Bloomington were both used in road tours back in the 80s and 90s. So we're kind of re going back to what was uh, done, done in those days. So clearly not just a static car show, lots, lots to do, lots to see. Uh, on top of the road tour, you've also got a couple other special evening events that kind of all are circulating around a, uh, a special Corvette themed movie. Yeah. Uh, fill us in on what are the, some of these, uh, what are some of these special events? And then what is the, what's the details on this film? The film. Okay. So let me first wrap up the tour. When the tour concludes it heads back down into normal there's the cities of normal and bloomington it heads into normal the city of normal is throwing a party for all the corvette and camaro people who come they're putting this party on really bands and food and all kinds of stuff And the public is welcome there as well yep okay so other things we're doing uh on thursday evening we have a gala uh opening of the what we call the gold collection this very very special invitation cars that are on display it's a ticketed event. You buy a ticket and you get drinks and hors d'oeuvres and you get to see these cars being uh, introduced for the show. And we've got some amazing Corvettes, if I could just rattle off yeah, a few. Yeah, sure. So for people who follow Corvettes, we have a 1963 Grand Sport 105 that were ever made. A real one. A real I've one. I've never seen one in person. See, that's what I mean. You do not see these cars. This is um stratosphere kind wow. of car. We've got two of the cars that raced at Le Mans in 1960 and one that won its class and we'll talk about that and then come back to that in a minute uh we've got uh, a zeal one corvette there were two made we have one of those we have a 67 l88 corvette that with 12 miles on it uh there were only 17 of those existing anymore the 67s and and on and on and on we've got uh the zr2 convertible there's only two of those made we've got one of those We've got a ZR1 convertible from 71. There's one convertible made. We have that. Uh, and it just keeps going. Cars, all kinds of fabulous cars. So during that evening, we're going to show a couple of movie trailers. Uh, and one of them is a trailer about a famous car collector named Ed Foss who passed away last fall. And uh, this man who is coming to our event, Michael Brown, is a movie producer. He did a movie about Ed Foss, the Low mileage Corvette King is what it's called. So it's a little trailer about Ed and his cars and his life. Both Meekum customers, by the way, Mr. Foss and yeah. Mr. Brown. And then he's also going to show another trailer for the movie called The Quest, which came out about a half a dozen to eight years ago or so. And the movie is about a, f- a famous car collector and show promoter named Chip Miller uh, from uh, Corvettes of Carlisle. And Chip had a quest to find this 1960 Le Mans Corvette race car which he did find, and he, he finally attained it and uh, was having it restored by a famous shop, uh, Kevin McKay, in New York, and making it back to how it originally was. And it's enormous detail. 
And uh, along that journey, Chip Miller got a rare disease and passed away pretty quickly. His son picked up the quest, so to speak. Right. Uh, the car was completed, and Lance Miller, the son, took the car to Le Mans 50 years after it had won the race, and he took it to Le Mans to do a lap around the track pre-race with the original race car driver, uh, and he, the man was 80 years old at the time, and he drove the car around the track wow. at Le Mans. So it's a cool. great, great movie. They're showing a trailer for that because we're going to show the whole movie Friday night. So it's telling people, here's what this is about. Friday night, we'll show the movie at Downtown Normal Theater. It's an old-fashioned movie theater. It's really kind of cool. only holds two or 300 people. And Michael Brown, the producer, will be there. Uh, Kevin McKay, who, who uh, built, the, built the car, restored the car, he'll be there. Um, Lance Miller, who you know finished his father's quest, he'll be there. Erwin Croy, who owns the car now, now will be there. They'll be there, and after the movie, they'll answer questions about nice. the car and the movie and all that stuff. So that's pretty neat. Well, I know one of the other big components that guests look forward to is the uh, Gold School, a great opportunity for people to come out and uh, attend some seminars and lectures on things relevant to Corvettes. And John and I are delighted again to be invited in and be speaking. John, uh, why don't you give listeners a tease? What seminars or, or what topic will you be covering in your time? Well, I always have a good time uh, sharing information about the auctions and how auctions work. So I kind of loosely title it uh, Inside Auctions and the Collector Car Market. Going to be very heavily geared to Corvettes and a little bit towards Camaros. And that's going to be both uh, doing one both on Friday, June 10th, and on Saturday, June 11th. But what I'm really looking forward to, Matt, and I know you're going to be doing one as well, is a very special, uh, we're going to actually kick off the Gold School with a discussion between Guy Larson, who's here with us on the podcast, and the original founder of Bloomington Gold. That would be David Burroughs, another one of our really good friends. So we're going to hear, and I'm going to help moderate and guide a discussion between these two guys representing really both ends of what makes Bloomington Gold so special as really the premier Corvette event each year. How about you? What do you got going on there? Well, as you mentioned, I've uh, I've signed up to do two different uh, seminars, uh, one on Friday, and that is uh, my popular Quest for 427 seminar based on uh, my research into Chevrolet's Copo program and talking a little bit about how the legendary Yanko uh, Camaros and Chevelles came about and, and really how everyone was scrambling to install a 427 under the hood of first-gen Camaros. And then my second seminar is brand new. It will debut for the first time at Bloomington Gold. Uh, it is called The Rise and Fall of GMMG. That name will be familiar to any fourth-gen Camaro enthusiast. They were uh, one of the predominant uh, powerhouses of fourth-gen Camaro modifications, working with some, some legendary dealer partners like Berger Chevrolet and Earnhardt Chevrolet. And one of the th reasons why I wanted to debut it here, John, is not only is it uh, a very uh, timely, uh, seminar as those cars are on the rise, yep. but also they were known for incorporating a lot of Corvette parts with their Camaro modification. So, uh, yeah, so I encourage people to uh, come on out. That will be on Saturday. Any other events coming up, uh, Guy, during the uh, Gold School presentation that you'd like to mention? Yeah, there's a couple other good ones. First, I want to try to get to Matt's seminar. I'd like to learn some of that. That'd be interesting. But uh, we've got mm -hmm. we've got another seminar that's on early Corvette race cars, and we've got. Uh, Mr. Bergen, who owned a race team in the 60s, he'll be there. Kevin McKay, who I said has built some of these race cars. Erwin Croy, who's collected many very famous race cars. So they'll be there putting on a seminar about early Corvettes, race cars. And uh, we've got a, a Corvette nut 
slash attorney that's going to do a seminar <laughs> on collector car fraud. He's a, he's a very knowledgeable attorney in the, in that field, and he'll give people tips on what to be careful of and what to look out for so you don't have something bad happen. Um, then we've got another one on um, the, the Restomod judging and how Bloomington Gold does Restomod judging because people don't really understand what we're doing there. So uh, that's something we began doing about three or four years ago. We okay. judge modified and Restomod Corvettes, and this seminar will explain how we go about determining uh, how one is uh, better or not than another and how many points you get for different things and all that. So. Well, I think it's a good time to talk about really what I consider to be the heart and soul of what Bloomington Gold is all about, and that's the judging. Now, we know there's plenty of other events going on, and I'm interested, uh, Guy, to see kind of what your thoughts on the participation of general Corvette enthusiasts versus how many are going to be there specifically getting your vehicles judged. But let's talk about the judging a little bit. How's the judging shaping up so far this year, and does that continue to be a very popular part of the show? You know, it's it's always popular, and it's also critical to our show. It's it's what we do, even though it will it'll be about eighty some cars we're going to judge, and okay. we'll probably have three or four thousand Corvettes attend the event. So it's a small part of the Corvette uh, footprint, but they're very significant cars. They're cars that are basically what we judge at Bloomington Gold is how accurately a car uh, represents how it left the factory. Okay. So we judge it not against the car next to it, but against how it left the factory. And uh, that's always been a standard uh, that holds up. So, you know, if it was judged uh, 10 years ago and it, it, it did really, really well, somebody still knows that car is an authentic car. So um, that always draws a crowd, people watching it. People come from all over the country to bring their cars to have them judged. And we're doing Camaro judging also, and we're doing this Restomod judging. Taking a, a, a step back, let's talk next about the the overall interest in the Corvette model. Guy, you are in a, a, a perfect position to gauge interest. You're right at the epicenter, uh, as it were, of Corvette love with uh, so many owners getting together and, and const- staying in constant dialogue with them throughout the year. What's your sense about just the, the overall interest in Corvette? Um, it certainly seems like there's no lack of interest with the current C8 generation being being a smashing success and higher and higher performance trims coming out on a regular basis now. Do you see any of this uh, momentum slowing down or, or cooling off anytime soon? I do not, honestly. And, you know, people have asked, uh, for, you know, the discussion's gone on for 10 years. Is the, is the collector car hobby fading? Is it going away? And not, I would just say no. No, right. Uh, I agree. You, uh, you watch this uh, auction uh, this, this coming week and watch all the highly collectible cars and the prices that they will attain. And the number of people bidding on some of these really desirable cars, you know, paying six and seven figures for some cars. So it's not going away. The ones that are rare, uh, I have an opinion personally, if they're, if they're rare, they're comfortable, and they're fast. They have to be fast, and they have to be comfortable. Like you can actually drive it and have fun. Hey, Even hey. if you only drive it once in a rare while, people still love them. And they, you know, of course, sound great. So the new C8 has uh, obviously been a big jump to the Corvette mark or brand, and uh, but but I think that's helping. You know, I think a lot of those people right. are looking at the old Corvettes too. It's just drawing a lot of attention to the Corvette market. So I think it's I think it's doing real well. You know, another big um, 
uh, a draw, at least in, from my opinion and my view, to Bloomington Gold traditionally has been vendors. A lot of the major vendors and parts suppliers uh, have attended that event. How is it looking for, for this year as we go back to Bloomington, Illinois, in calendar year 2022? How's that shaping up this year? Vendor registration is very strong. Uh, you know, we start we started taking vendors in early because they were calling our office. We usually don't take registrations till January, but we started in October, and we filled up the what we call the outside swap area where people sell used parts and little things, and we filled up the swap area in a month. So we expanded it. We filled that up in another month, month and a half. Then we took the whole parking lot that it was in and made it the swap area, and it's full. And wow. it's the largest swap area we've had in a long time. Right. Um, you know, you could find anything from, I don't know, like turn signal bulbs to frames. You know, there's everything in between. And then, uh, of course, there'll be some cars for sale. Not a great deal in the cars for sale, but there'll be some. So that's going extremely well. And we've got some interesting vendors, uh, you know, doing demonstrations of, um, sh- you know, sand- not sandblasting, powder blasting cars and... Okay. Uh, some other things like that being demonstrated. So so definitely lots going on, lots to see. And uh, by all accounts, this is shaping up to be uh, one incredible event. I know John and I are looking forward to attending. If listeners want to find out more, head over to bloomingtongold.com. Guy, as always, it is a pleasure. Thanks for the updates, and we'll see you very soon in Bloomington. Okay, thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Meekin Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. For more information, visit Meekum.com and join us again next time as we take you inside the world of muscle and collector cars and more.